my name is Joe Jackson. I'm an interviewer, journalist and broadcaster. And for the first decade of this century, I did for the Irish radio station RT Radio 1 a music series titled Under the Influence. Sadly, that title was subsequently used, be it stolen consciously or otherwise, for a similar MTV show. So now, after revisiting the master tapes of those old interviews, I've decided to turn the best into a podcast series called The Music That Made Me. I may even add the subtitle, Made Me Want to Make Music. Either way, what follows is one of those shows, minus music, which for copyright reasons I can't include. Some of the full shows and many of my other radio programs are available on Mixcloud.com. And if you want to read any articles that arose out of these interviews, you can check out JoeJacksonInterviewer.com. Enjoy the show. Okay, now do you, did you get the facts on what the show is about? The radio show is. Yeah, you got that. So yeah. you see where it's kind of coming from. Yeah. So you can kind of—I'll uh, dub in the music when I get back home. And I know you kind of—I'm uh, going to lead up to you talking about the latest album. And even if we repeat some of the stuff we said in the Irish Times, okay. just forget it because this is a different audience and a different day. So it's picking three different influences, right? It's kind of like well, what? Um, well, let me do a spoken intro to the show. Paul Weller, we're sitting in your studio here in Surrey, and. Uh, can you remember one particular song or single, soul single maybe, that would have galvanised you into music and said, That's, this is exactly what I want to do? Um, as an, an initial influence, you mean? Yeah. Probably, well, it would either be the Kinks or the Beatles, or it would be both, really. And um, Waterloo Sunset by the Kinks is a big one for me, which I heard, uh, which came out, what, 67? So I would have been nine... That really caught my imagination, and Strawberry Fields Forever by the Beatles was another one. But what was it about? The, did the Kinks kind of remind you of where you lived? I mean, all those images of London and and, and well, uh, bridges well, and and sixties. And, and you were you were nine. I was very young to be relating to that. Yeah, well, I wouldn't have related it on that level you're talking about because I come from from Woking, which is a suburban town. I mean, it's only it's only twenty five minutes down the road or forty five minutes down the road from London, but it's still a world away. All right, and it was even more so at that time. You didn't have the motorways and all that stuff, but um, but I suppose also, well, melodically anyway, I was always affected by Ray Davis. He had something in his melodies. I don't know whatever it was, kind of part, not nostalgic as well. I don't know in a strange way. I don't know because a nine-year-old would be nostalgic, but there was something kind of wistful in his melodies. I don't know what the right word is, but um, and also I think he was one of the few people who was writing about very, very English sub subjects, you know, and also using very English imagery. Right. Most other music at that time was kind of sort of second-hand American images or, you know, post-rock and roll images. And uh, I can't, you know, even now, I can't think of many people really who kind of use those sort of images that Ray Davis did. It was also very, I saw him recently in Dublin, and you realise it was also post-Vaudeville, working-class culture, very much being celebrated at the centre in a lot of his songs. Mm. Something he was very clearly very proud of. Yeah. So Waterloo Sunset we can play for you? Yeah, definitely. Okay, uh, we just heard the um, Kinks singing Waterloo Sunset. The Kinks and the Beatles and that kind of stuff were one of the influences on the jam. And that kind of stuff you brought on board when you formed the jam. Yeah, definitely. So, so what else was it? I know you've said to me elsewhere that kind of you loved uh, Lennon's line, no one else is in my tree. Because right. you just thought that single image yeah. hooked you. Just like the kind of arrogance of that line. And that's how I took it anyway. And just the thought that, you know, maybe you are special in life. Perhaps there is something special mapped out for you. And it's not beyond some little 
kids' imagination from a little suburban hick town, you know, perhaps there was something else lying out there, you know. All right. And that's the way I took it anyway. But the extension for Lennon was, am I a genius or am I mad? And I don't think he ever answered the question for himself. Well, I don't know, he's probably not. But, um, but you would see him more as a genius than mad? Uh, I don't know about a genius. I don't know what it entails to be a genius, what, you know. I mean, his other quote was, if there's such a thing as, as a genius, you know, whether they exist or not, then I probably am one. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, it? yeah. Uh, but when you when, when you then got to study or listen, to, not study, because you, you'd say you kind of more you absorbed it, the songs of the Beatles, Lennon and McCartney. Did you have a more of a tilt towards John? Would it have been more John than Paul, or both together? I loved them both at the time. You know, I was a huge, huge Beatle fan. Um, I think probably Lennon's stuff is a bit more enduring. You know, probably go back to his stuff more, to be honest. But um, I loved all the. Four, Fab Four, you know. All right. But you also came of age as a teenager when Lennon brought out, we'd say, his solo albums, The Primal yeah. Therapy and Imagine. Yeah, and stuff both like, them albums. Yeah. And you got them at the time. Would you have got them, like? Yeah. So how would something like The Primal Therapy with Working Class Hero and, and How, or not How is on Imagine, those kind of really stark lyrics, would they have really hit you? Um, I don't know if I'd been old enough to sort of take them on fully, you know, but I still... I still like to. I still like working class here. I mean, it probably sounds a bit cliched these days, really. But um, keep your dope with with religion, sex, and TV. That's still pretty relevant, I'd say. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I think TV is the opium of the masses, or one of them, anyway. But um, yeah, I relate to a lot of it. So if you I wait, think, for- I think you know. I mean, I was probably a bit too young to sort of fully cop a lot of it. But if you if I was to play a Beatles or a Lennon track, what would you like to hear? I'd like to hear "Love Is." Off, um, off the first song of the Plastic Ono Band. Very plaintive, very beautiful song. It's a beautiful it? song. Very fantastic simple. song. And there's a great version as well, a demo version they put on that box set recently. Oh, the blue box set? Yeah. All right, okay. Do you want to hear that, well, that version? That. I'd love the to The acoustic version? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's great. There's some really astounding stuff on him in the yeah. studio getting crazy at Phil Spector and all that stuff. Yeah. Some of, yeah, some of it I don't need to hear, to be honest with you. Some of it goes all too right. far, you know. Because it goes, you don't need to know that about well, the just, sessions. The only thing I've got, problem I have with a lot of box sets is you've got like fucking 80 or 90 tracks to plough through or something. You know, I used to like the days when you just had an album to play, you know, an A and B side. <laughs> I better still a single. Yeah, well. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we're coming out of. Uh, John Lennon's Love Is. And who else from around there? Was there anyone else around that area? Mostly was it Ray Davis and Lennon and McCartney who would have been the primary? As right as, yeah. And then later on, I guess, Smokey Robinson. I thought um, <clears throat> I thought he was a great writer and a great lyricist. And uh, it was kind of like, um, almost like taking doo-wop, but evolving it, and, you know, a thousand times or something. And just kind of, you know, intellectualising a lot of it in some ways. It was still kind of like boy meets girl kind of lyrics, but the way Smokey took some of those images and those kind of, I don't know what you call them, but when he, I don't know about this, but you have to cut, cut this bit. Yeah. That's okay, that's okay. No, what about Smokey? Because, I mean, it's not, uh, it's an interesting choice because Bob Dylan was once asked who was the greatest poet in songwriting and he said Smokey Robinson. America's greatest Would, living poet. Yeah, didn't he say that about Smokey? And it's not, he doesn't always get hauled into these kind of, examinations of great songwriters no, at that level also, I mean, just little simple lines for me like uh, in the song The Way You Do The Things You Do which The Temptations did there's a great line that says The Way You Stole My Heart You Could Have Been A Cool Crook I mean, that's yeah. a fantastic line yeah yeah. baby you're so smart you could have been a school book I mean whatever those called juxtapositions are they I don't know you're the, uh, you're the yeah, writer I, mate. You're the... <laughs> yeah they are juxtapositions <laughs> but whatever of, they're called yeah. anyway they're clever 
and, it's a bit, and also with the voice because you listen to a lot of soul you look but you were saying i know you said at one point that before you redefined yourself in the 90s you would not have listened to music by people with beards right. <laughs> it was that kind of thing right. crosby stills and nash and the, the van morrisons were not your ilk no you were you were a real soul I was kid brought up, yeah because i was and in my school when i was at that sort of teenage you know 13 14 or whatever you're either a skinhead or a suede or you were sort of like a long hair dark side of the moon kid you know and you know never the twain shall meet and it was for us it was just all motown soul stacks reggae and that was it we right. listen to any progressive rock or geezers with long hair or beards <laughs> it's very blinkered you know it was yeah no but you found in time then you needed to shake that off and yeah, it helped now, redefine who you became well no I just, I just opened up the joys of all music you know which is a great thing and uh, and not to be um, you know not to be blinkered about it and just you know I like, but the only criterion is just whatever's good, I want to hear it. You know, whatever, whatever you've got out there, and, it's, and if it's good and I should hear it, then I want to hear it. So, do you want to hear the way you do the things you do? I certainly do. <laughs> it's a great, <laughs> it's a great song, man. I think it's it a great a lyric. Song, yeah. I heard it first by Dion. Remember him, Dion Demucci and the Belmonts. Right. That guy, he did an album in the seventies, and the way he tosses those lines around right. is as good as smoking. What do you call They're that? Great what do they call that when they've got? It, it is. It's a. Uh, it's it's parallelism or it's juxtaposition well, you know that kind of that kind of, of thing smoking. yeah you're this or you're that right, right. And, and and then this explanation uh clarifies the first right, line right, right. i mean dylan uses that technique all the time but he doesn't always deliver right. i mean dylan always sets up very uh, one of his formulas is three lines that lead you in a certain direction and a fourth line that upends it right, right. you know what i mean right. but i think it's great i love well, well let's go back into that Okay, we've just come out of Smokey Robinson's The Way You Do The Things You Do. You were talking there about those kind of juxtapositions in the lyric. You're very much, you're still someone who, who, who loves good craft and songwriting, yeah, aren't you? Real, that's, yeah. that's kind of drives you. You can see you're getting excited even when you talk about it now. Right. And, I mean, where would you say in your work that you kind of parallel Smokey if you did? And you, well, don't I be afraid to be arrogant. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I wouldn't do I wouldn't dream to do that. But Because um, what I do is different from what Smokey does. You know, I'm, it might be an influence, you know, but I've... I couldn't say anything. Would you, you? You couldn't pick a track? No, because I don't write in that style. Do you know what I mean? All right. I have a different style of writing. Okay. There is some... Well, I admire that, you know, and I think he was the master of that of that style. When you see the crit the critiques of your own work that rate you so highly as, as a, a Brit rock or whatever you want to call it, songwriter, do you take that with a grain of salt or you go, somebody is recognising that I'm trying anyway? From a, from what kind of... From what source you mean? From, the, from a paper review? Yeah. You, from, I get more from, you know, from... The person in the street, to be honest, you know, that they're the ones who shell out their hard-earned cash and buy the records or come to a gig. It means more to me. If one of the, if, if a fan comes up and says, "Yeah, I get it. Yeah. That kind of stuff? Of course, yeah. And um, moving on from Smokey Robinson, who would have, when you, when you went into the kind of, uh, I mean, with the jam and stuff like that, it would have been Punk the Who and looking back and updating that stuff. Pete Townsend, yeah. Yeah. And he's, um, you know, for me, right, with Pete Townsend, he, I thought he said more in three and a half minutes or three minutes with Substitute than he ever said in Tommy oh, right. or any of those concept albums for me. So I thought it was just so brilliant. I mean, the fact he was only 19 when he wrote Substitute, it's just, I think it's quite mind-boggling. And the whole kind of imagery in Substitute is fantastic to me. Yeah, what is it about that lyric? You think we look pretty good together and all that? Yeah, it was just the, um, you know, we'll just read out the whole set of lyrics and, you know, it's in there. I don't know. I mean, it's not something that I have to relate to but on a personal right. level. I just think it's kind of. I hadn't. I'd, I personally hadn't heard Im imagery in songs like that before, you know. And I kind of came to the Who a lot later as well. I don't remember them in the sixties. So I you came to them came when to in more late seventies, early seventies. 
Right, but as you go through the whole body of work, and you just think substitute stands out as a really yeah. I liked example. you know I like I like their early stuff. I like from '65. Up, the singles. Up they, they, they were another great singles band. Were, and yeah. as you say, they overstretched it when they went pictures to stuff of, like pictures of Lily and you know I'm a boy and stuff like that. Because I can't think anyone else who was writing those sort of style songs. They were kind of real abstract things, but yet using sort of everyday images. You know, maybe it's part of all these pop art theory. Ed, I don't know. Pete Townsend, yeah, yeah. coming out of art college. Yeah, that was it. There's another. We can, our, our our word for the show today is juxtaposition. I think Pete would have no problem with that because he he paralleled images in all those right. songs too. And right. I think substitutes a great example. So we play that too. Cool. Okay, we're getting a lot of music in. Okay, Paul Weller. Uh, apart from not wanting to listen to the beardies and that, uh, when you you, you you also retained a great love for people like uh, Stevie Marriott and, and Traffic. Right. So so when when was that and why did that why did that become? You still go back to that. Not on the well, new album, but up to recently. Why, what, what was it about them? And Ronnie Lane is, is tributed on your new album. Why right. that that particular group? Um, well, I've just always loved the small faces. I mean, and also we were talking about a lot of influences that were, you know, my first initial influences, you know, and, and the, those things probably always stay with you, I think. The first things that ever turn you on, you know, put you onto music in a serious way. And those kinds of things always, you know, always stay with me. And it's not to say I play them every single day I wake up, but... Uh, but if people ask me what was my first and most enduring influence, then it would be all probably would always be that stuff, you know. And I thought it was a very, very creative time that mid '60s onwards. And uh, the small faces I, you know, particularly loved because there were f- four geezers, four, three geezers from the East End and one from Hounslow, who, um, you know, kind of never pretended to be anything other than that, and yet were still striving to get better and make something different and do something different in music. And also the whole imagery as well. You know, I loved all the clothes and the haircuts and all that stuff. And I still do. And I like the fact that they, you know, these four young Londoners trying to sound like Booker T and the MGs, but coming up with something, something else in the process. And Yeah, yeah the soul's true. Yeah. But they also, they didn't, they kind of fracture it when they went for some of the concept albums, you know, the Nut yeah, Gone Flake big, or whatever, you I'm know what I mean? I'm not a big lover of concept albums yeah. anyway. Yeah. And I think they kind of, again, when they were at their great singles, it, yeah. was, it was classic small faces. Yeah, fantastic. And what, here what, come the nice and stuff like that, and Ichiku Park, and you know, like you say, just great singles, really. And what, what more than any other one would you really think, God, I can listen to that time and again and I'll never tire of it? Tin Soldier for me. Yeah? It's one of the greatest love songs I've ever heard. Do you? Yeah. I know I I must be missing. I never thought of it that. Why? What is it about the lyric? Uh, it's when S- Steve Marriott was trying to win over his what would be his first was going to be his first wife. And I think it was the song that done it for her. Yeah, and she finally consented after she heard that. Who was that? Her name was Jenny. Oh, I'm not too sure actually. I should know this. Being okay. Train spotter. So this was <laughs> you are sure. a train spotter, aren't you? <laughs> so this was his open Valentine tour. Yeah, by all accounts, yeah. I've heard, I've seen a quote anyway by Steve Marriott saying that. Have you ever used a song that way? No, I haven't actually. Have you know? I don't know if I've got it in me to do that, you know. An open Valentine. <laughs> I've always had, um, you know, I think it's very, very hard to write a great love song and I'd love to be able to do it. Mine have always got a slight um, hesitancy about them, you know. Kind of gets to a point, but then I look, and there's always a little dark corner in them, which is, I don't know. Which is what? You're, you're afraid to go that further distance. That's it is, yeah. To, to die, just rip open the heart. Yeah. Like a soul singer might, or a smoky would yes, have. Yeah, but it's also just finding the right images or, you know, using the right words without being corny as well. It's a very hard thing to do. Without sounding twee. Yeah. 
All right. But you did admire listening to soul stuff. I mean, the, the emotion oh, yeah, and the yeah. open emotion in some of that soul stuff would t- still tear you, tears your heart out. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, Daryl Banks, beautiful yeah. feeling. You've yeah. heard that song. Yeah. That's a fantastic love song, you know. But you also, I mean, people do say that you, you can, you can, whatever about the lyrics, if you don't go the extra distance, that when you sing, you go there. Right. Would you, would you agree with that? You know, you're not, you don't pull back from emotion when you're singing. No, not at all, no. All right, it's just no, where I'm you, talking you, about just the, yeah, actual, the lyric. Yeah, going that extra distance. So, so I suppose Tin Soldier, we better play. Definitely, yeah. Okay, well, we all, we both of us will send this out secretly to some woman out there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is going very well. Okay, uh, yeah, I can go straight into talking about the new album. Is there any? Do you you couldn't sing a song or play a guitar or do anything a lick if I asked you just to play a bit from a song? Just because yeah. we are in a studio and it seems like, let's tap into that. You know I what I mean? Can't get a guitar. Great. Okay, uh, Paul Weller, we've talked, we've talked about kind of musical influences, but the, the, and you, all, you were just talking there about, we were talking about the nature of love songs. But on, on the new album, you, kind of, you have set out to celebrate love, to celebrate life, to cel- celebrate changes in your personal life after a marriage breakup, and there's a, there's a song to your daughter. So there are those kind of emotional influences, but you don't like songs being reduced to, that, to slabs yeah, of autobiography. Yeah, I'm making an album just, you know, trying to rectify what, you know, me breaking up with my wife or something you know I mean, it doesn't you know it wouldn't work like that even if there is a song as you have said which is a gesture yeah, back yeah, yeah, towards one her. song but it wouldn't be a wouldn't be a basis for a whole album you know right okay but it is kind of reflecting those changes in your life the new one is lighter and it's yeah. and as you said it's focusing and on also color. a place that i wanted to get to as well and take people with me as well which is what which is what that cel- is, you know, celebrate yeah and like we said before like the place of light and color and you know joy all right and it even has a kind of brendan behan influence or aspiring towards Brendan Behan. Yeah. Well, yeah. Which is? Which is, uh, there is no drinking after you're dead. All right. Okay. I'll just imagine him pissed up in a pub in New York or something singing it. You know, that's what, that was the image in my mind. That was, that was the feeling you got? Yeah. Okay. You did say, too, that you write better when you're pissed off. Right. Hasn't that always been a thing about you? So that. this is another part of that, how to write a love song when I'm not pissed off. Yeah. You know? That's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. But but the pissed off, the anger and the rage goes back to kind of just got, and forward. Well, you just got more use of images when you're that, you know, in those darker songs. You know, there's a wider, wider range of images to use, I think. And I think in some ways they're easier to write. All right. Okay, because they're an outburst. Well, I don't know, whatever it is. I just, you just seem to have more, you know, the imagery is just much, much wider. That I don't know if it's, you know, it's not necessarily a good enough reason to write those songs. All right. But they're just easier to write, I guess. Okay, could you give us an example of a track, uh, like the genesis of a track from the new album? Yeah, you tell me which one you'd like. You could do any of them. You, you play. No, I'd like yeah, uh, time temperance, loveless. I'd like. I mean, obviously, whatever ones more that work at a more acoustic level. Uh, yeah. You could, if you want to do a bit of the Behan one. No. Uh, that'd be difficult. I'll need a capo okay. for that and a guitar right. roadie. <laughs> do you? <laughs> okay. We call a certain tune in that. Okay. So talk, talk us into this, you know, you, you, you tune us in, you know, it's up to, well, it's up to you, whatever, any track you, you feel would kind of represent, truthfully, the new album. Right. Um, that's hard for me to say because they all do, in a sense, and they're all different little facets of it. But um, I think I'll play your Sweet Pea in that case. That would sum it up for me. That's all right. Okay. Sweet Pea, my Sweet Pea, which I wrote for my daughter. And uh, in some ways, I think the sort of sentiments in the song, she probably won't really get until she's got her own kids or she's grown up. And I like the idea that this song goes on and on and on and it's in, has some enduring quality about it. 
There's a line there which says, uh, sometimes, just maybe sometimes, look back on these times and smile and have the grace to know what you've seen, which is, uh, you know, you're not, you know, you're not fully aware of what's, what you're going through as a child, you know? And suddenly we look back and think we had what great times we had and, you know, and the love and the magic that was there and, you know, do you know? But it's a, that's also a line for Paul Weller as well as for Leah. Yeah. Isn't it? So you're singing He's partly saying. to yourself and partly to her. Yeah. Well, I'll play a bit of that. Do you want to hear the whole thing or a bit? A bit of it. Hey, thank you very much. Sweet Pea reminded me of a Manfred Mann song. Wasn't there a Manfred Mann single called that? Sweet Pea was an instrumental. Was it's it? instrumental one, Remember yeah. that, wasn't it? I do, yeah, yeah it's a B-side. Yeah. Wasn't it great? What was the B-side of one of the good ones? Of, uh... Yeah, Blue Label, you're the train spotter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Can't maybe, remember uh, I, I had it. Mighty like, Quinn, well, I don't know. Could have been, time, yeah, it was around that time. Okay, if you, I know you... Uh, well, let me go back in on one last question to get out. I really like that song, it was an acoustic version too. We just yeah. did it. Yeah. Right. Um... Paul, you, you jumped back earlier when I kind of tried to compare you or asked you where, like, you, you, you matched um, Smokey. Right. Okay? But if there was somewhere in, in the body of your work, anywhere, anywhere, where you can just go, I got it right, not comparing yourself to any of the greats, but you just can put that on like you put on the way you do the things you do on Sugo. Weller, you got it there. Uh, well, I'd say Wildwood, the actual track Wildwood. The song Wildwood, why? Yeah. Um, because it kind of wrote itself, and I think they're always special, them songs, and I didn't have to sit and deliberate about any of it. It just came... And I just uh, sat around in hotel rooms. I was on tour for a lot that year, the year before I wrote that, that album. And um, <clears throat> once I had that chord sequence, the words just came, and it was just a question of editing, really, after that. All right. And do you still get joy when you sing it? Yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah? And uh, it's very much uh, a folk song as well, in the real sense of the word. And I've been at gigs, notably one I can think of anyway, up in, when I was up in Glasgow in Barrowlands, where the whole audience sang it. And it was just almost terrifying, but in a beautiful way, you know. All right, okay. That point, because you have talked, you've talked with me about that. That in all, a lot of the gigs you do, what you are looking for, the once in a while where you yeah, transcend everything, ones. and there's magic. Yeah. Totally. So that was one of those nights, I presume. Definitely. Are you going to sing uh, that at the Witness Festival? Uh, hopefully, yeah. We've okay, only got we don't, we don't want to impose it on no, you. No, it's just that we've only got an hour, so it's like get on, boys, and you know, get off. So. Well, hopefully we'll do that one, yeah. And if I if I close the show with that song, would that seem like a good way to wrap it up yeah. for you after talking about all these influences? Yeah, definitely. If we played the the recorded version. Yeah. Paul Weller, thank you very much. Pleasure. <laughs> okay, that was good. It takes, right, its, it takes its own turn, yeah, don't you think? <clears throat> I hope so, yeah. Right, yeah. Right. Hi, Joe Jackson here again. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast. More can be heard, as I said, at joejacksoninterviewer.com.